0: asked Dwight uh, the size of this room. He said, I think it sleeps about 150. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just uh, very, very glad that I could even be here this morning because we had quite an experience last night. Somebody broke into our house and uh, then broke into our bedroom. And the man charged in there, turned on a light. Oh, it it was a mess. Scared us to death had a gun, and uh, uh, we, we, we sat bolt upright. He walked over to my wife and said, uh, what's your name? And she said, Ruth. And oh, he said, I could never shoot anybody named Ruth. My grandmother's name was Ruth. It's a beautiful name. Couldn't do it. <laughs> then he turned to me and he said, what's your name? I said, my name is Pat. But everybody calls me Ruth. <laughs> All right. Settle down, guys. Settle down. <laughs> the Book of Ecclesiastes, huh? That's what you're in the middle of. Very interesting. Um, Skip Heitzig is a pastor out in New Mexico, earlier this year, his book came out, The Bible from 30,000 Feet, soaring through the scriptures in one year, from Genesis to Revelation. So, I looked to see what he had to say about Ecclesiastes, particularly Ecclesiastes 7, because that was my assignment. So let me share with you Uh, What we can learn today from him. Solomon then moved from the practical to the spiritual, bringing the soul into the equation. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. That's Ecclesiastes 6-7. The material world satisfies your flesh, but not your soul, the inner eternal part of you. Just like your body, your soul needs nourishment, too. And just like your body, it matters what you feed it. That kind of soul food includes studying the word of God, worship, prayer, discipleship, fellowship, witnessing, and obedience to the commands of Scripture. All of those exercise and strengthen your soul so that your soul can dominate your flesh rather than the other way around. That spiritual fitness includes a reality check, which Solomon put this way, better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men, and the living will take it to heart, Ecclesiastes 7.2. It sounds strange, but if you have a choice between attending a wedding or a funeral, go to the funeral. It's a reminder that you too will die one day, and it's good to be sad if it helps you make your days count. American and Western culture will do just about anything to eradicate suffering, pain, or anything else that makes us uncomfortable. But only a fool denies that those things are part of life. If God permits them, then there must be purpose in them, a depth of understanding and empathy that only they can bring. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by a sad countenance the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. That's Ecclesiastes 7, 3 and 4. There is something healthy in grieving and moving on, as opposed to just ignoring it or failing to prepare for it. As the poet Robert Browning said, I walked a mile with pleasure, she chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. Trials and tribulations are so hard, but in God's hands they can sow unique growth It's better to ask what you can get out of them rather than how you can get out. So there's your little message from Ecclesiastes this morning from Skip Heitzig. Guys, I want to talk to you about uh, fitness. Uh, It was very early this morning, and I did not get to the gym. (laughs) You guys didn't either, right? (laughs) Okay, on your feet. Everybody on their feet, quickly, quickly, quickly. Let's go. Uh, We're gonna start with some bench presses. Are you ready? Here we go. Watch me. Here we go. There we go. Oh! Mm. These weights are heavy, my gosh. Oh! Now we're gonna do some lat pullbacks, guys. Oh, and I hear bones crunching. Look at this little guy. He's just doing it. Oh. Oh, now, Dwight, we got to get a picture of this. This is gonna be a good picture. This is called, these are called overhead presses. Okay, and it's gonna be quite a sight. You ready, Dwight? Here we go. Oh, look at that. Is that a beautiful sight? Oh. 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 I think that's enough. <laughs> now we want ripply biceps, do we not? Ripple, ripple, ripple. Are you ready? Ah. Oh. These weights kept getting heavier and heavier. There we go. That's it. Oh, now some of you are gonna do some writing, so we need to get our hands and wrists ready. There we go. Now shake it out. Oh, give yourself a hand. You were great. You were great. <laughs> so, we exercised our skeletal muscles today. And when you get on your bike or your elliptical, you're exercising your heart and lung muscles. However, there's another muscle in our body It's a whole different story, and we've got to talk about exercising it. This muscle is about two and a half to three pounds. It's about the size of a cantaloupe. It's got a wonderful protective device, a bony structure called a skull, and inside that in a bony structure is this cantaloupe lodged in there. Oh, it's a remarkable muscle. To get a computer to do everything that this cantaloupe does, well, that computer would have to be the size of Dallas, Texas and 22 stories tall. So therefore, it behooves us to take really, really good care of this muscle. Really good care. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, this muscle needs an enormous amount of sleep, which I did not get last night. (laughs) Because I wanted to be with you, and I was so, I I mean, I couldn't sleep. Uh, Just kidding. guys. This muscle needs rest. It needs sleep. And the average American doesn't get enough sleep. So be very, very alert to that. This muscle, to function fully, must be well rested. Sleep. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with naps. I mean, south of the border, it's just part of the life, right? Um, So if you get uh, to the point. Uh, in your day where you need a nap, take it. Just close the door to your office, tilt your chair back, and take a little siesta. Uh, there's a second thing that this muscle needs, and that means it, means it needs good nutrition. It needs to be fed well. Uh, that means a uh, Big Mac at lunch. No? double-wheat cheese whopper for dinner? No? You know what I'm talking about. So here's a little principle for you uh, to keep this muscle uh, well-nourished. Eat early. That means breakfast. Many Americans skip breakfast. That's a mistake. Eat early. Eat often. Little meals during the day. Eat early, eat often, eat balanced eat lean eat bright the brighter the vegetables that you select the brighter the fruit the better and remember the beverage of champions coke and pepsi no root beer frappuccinos no you know what i'm saying Water is the beverage of champions and our body is made up primarily of water and we need to keep replenishing it every day. This muscle needs a lot of water, every day. And then there's a third issue here about this muscle. It needs exercise, vigorous exercise, every day. And I have been working, in my spare time, to figure out how to attach a stationary bike to this muscle, and and how to um, uh, uh, get something hooked up uh, with my stairmaster to this muscle. I'm I'm working on bench press machines, dumbbells, barbells to get them hooked here. I'm. I'm getting there, but it's a slow process. I'm a little discouraged. But I do want to tell you, there is a wonderful attachment that fits beautifully to this muscle. It gives it a vigorous workout every time you make the attachment. And that little device is called a book. And the exercise is called... I didn't hear you, men. Good. Good to hear that. And so I'm here this morning to tell you, read for your life. I have been grieving here of late about the number of sports personalities who have passed away or are succumbing to dementia and Alzheimer's. Sad. First baseman, Bill Buckner. Tom Seaver out on the coast is failing badly. Al Adels, the longtime NBA coach. Uh, Bobby Knight. Uh, The man who brought me here 33 years ago, Jimmy Hewitt, is in an Alzheimer's care unit. He's a year younger than I am. Really, really upsetting. And so, we've gotta do everything we can to keep this muscle well exercised, and the best way to do it, guys, is to read. So I wanna talk to you for a few minutes about questions you might have. Uh, Here's the deal. If you will read one hour every day, and it doesn't matter how you do the hour, it can be 61 minute sessions or 160 or 230 minute sessions or 32s or 415s or 154s or 610s or 106s. It doesn't matter how you do the hour, but if you'll read for an hour a day at the end of one week, you will have finished a book, a regular sized book, and you say, Big deal. It's a huge deal, because the average man, upon finishing high school, will not read another book the rest of his life. 85% of all the books purchased in this country are purchased by women. We, uh, unfortunately, have become a non-reading society. And it's affecting this country because our brains are not getting the proper exercise. We have become addicted to screens, movie screens, and television screens, and computer screens, and telephone screens, and uh, video games. Don't get me started. (laughs) And in the meantime, our brains are not getting the exercise that they need. So if you'll read an hour a day, at the end of one week, you'll have finished a book. It will not be War and Peace, uh, but you might be able to get some abbreviated books, like uh, Dr. Jekyll. Uh, you uh, Did that go over everybody's head, Dwight? Yeah. You can read abbreviated books, like Dr. Jekyll. (laughs) Uh, Snow White and Dopey. (laughs) You can go to used bookstores, which I did the other day, Uh, and I bought a copy of Victor Hugo's The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and darn if the spine wasn't bent. It's important to go to your Barnes & Noble or your Books A Million uh, once every two weeks to see what's coming out, see what books might be of interest to you. People ask me all the time, well, what should I read? And I say to them, what are you interested in? And never pick up a book that you're not interested in. That doesn't go for you in school, okay? (laughs) <laughs> and if you'll read the right five books on any one subject, you'll be considered a world-leading authority on that subject, which means in one year, you'll have read 52 books, and you can be a world-leading authority on 10 different topics by reading an hour a day. Keep that up for 10 years. If my math is right, that's 520 books that you would have read. And you can become a world-leading authority on over 100 different topics if you'll just follow that formula. And maybe they'll invite me back in 10 years, and we can see how you're doing. I'll tell you this. You become a world-leading authority on over 100 different topics in the next 10 years, you'll be the most requested lunchtime companion in Central Florida. People will be begging to take you to lunch probably Cracker Barrel, <laughs> which is all right. And, uh, and they're gonna be complaining. I mean, what's going on at this lunch? I mean, I only brought a little thimble, uh, but you're just filling up a wash basin with all the stuff that's pouring out from your side of the table, and you just tell them that your brain is on fire, that it's so loaded and getting such a workout every day that it's just absolutely jumping out of its skull. That's what's going to happen. And then people will say to me, well, what do you read? I said, I read books that I'm interested in. And, and, and what is that, sir? Well, I tell them. Uh, I read baseball history. I read basketball and football in season. I read Civil War. I'm a Civil War buff, and World War II. Revolutionary War period. I read presidential biographies, and I read books on, lit- on uh, leadership and success. Uh, they call it Christian inspiration. Uh, I, I, I read that. I mean, I read in those areas that are of interest to me. I do not read novels. I call them story books. Uh, my wife feasts on them, but that's okay. Uh, I read books that I have interested in. And so never pick up a book that you don't have interest in. And so I want to encourage you to get started. Uh, I'll make it easy for you, gang, because I have brought two of my most recent books right here today, this morning. They're heavily discounted. Two for 20. I'll stay and sign them. There are two weeks taken care of right there. One book is called Character Carved in Stone. The other is called Leading God's Way. So that'll get you started. You won't have to go to the bookstore for a while. And, and, and you know what Dwight Bain has taught me? The power of your local library. Oh, Dwight will tell you the most important thing he possesses is his library card. Um, that way, I mean, everything that's coming out, man, you can, you can just dive right into it. I want to get you excited about reading. Now, now what that means is this, um, the television set hmm, probably is going to have to be turned off unless you do it my way. Uh, How do I do it? Uh, I have the games on, but the sound is off. So I can kind of keep an eye on what's going on, but I'm also reading. It's called multitasking. And, and, most, and most of the things that they say on the games is meaningless. You know, it's just kind of blabber. So just take the sound off and do both. That'll work, won't it? Now, here's the big question. What about my Bible reading? Mm. I'm struggling with it. I hear men say, I mean, I'm struggling. I'm not really getting out of it what I should be getting out of it. So I got to tell you a little story. Uh, the date was July 1st, 1975. I was 35 years old. I was the general manager of the 76ers. Uh, my family and I had were on a vacation up in New York State at a Christian camp. And uh, the speaker during that week was a, veteran Bible teacher named Dr. Lehman Strauss. Uh, We were enjoying sitting under his teaching each morning. So on July 1st, I was sitting out on a bench by the beautiful lake there. Lovely, lovely morning. Enjoying the scenery. And darn if Dr. Strauss doesn't come over to me. Well, he was a Philadelphian by trade, and he understood the sports scene in Philadelphia, he sat down, we had a very nice chat, and then he said to me, out of a clear blue sky, how are you doing in your studying of God's word? He said in a deep voice. I mean, it sounded like the voice of God. (laughs) And I was kind of scared, kind of nervous. Whew, what do I say? I'd been a Christian about eight years, but I really hadn't found a a rhythm. And uh, so I thought about it and I said, um, I'm not doing very well, Dr. Strauss, but what do you recommend? (laughs) And here's what he said to me. He said, there are many ways to study the Bible, but I want to recommend a way to you that is been very helpful to many he said this is the first day of july and i want to recommend that you totally disregard for this month 65 of the books in the bible now that's not what i expected to hear from a bible teacher he said i want you to put aside 65 of the books and for the month of july i want you to read the book of james Once a day, every day for this month, he said it'll take about 20 minutes a day to do it. But he said, on the 31st of July, he said, you are going to feel as if you have ownership of the book of James. You're going to feel that you absolutely have it captured. And he said, in the future, any time anybody preaches on James, you're going to say, month of July, (laughs) 1975. That's when I got my arms around James. Well, Dr. Strauss, the late Dr. Strauss, was prophetic on that one. I mean, whenever James comes up, I mean, I can immediately remember that month 31 times Different versions, 31 times. Then I said to him, Now, Dr. Strauss, on August 1st, after James for 31 times, what do I do now? And he said, Well, he said, You quickly flip to the book of Philippians for the month of August. And uh, I want you to read the book of Philippians once a day, every day. For the month of August. (coughs) Let me get my water, Dwight. And so (coughs) that's what I did. And uh, at the end of August, I felt like I had a pretty good handle on Philippians. Uh, Dr. Strauss had pointed out that uh, there are enough of those small books in the New Testament that I had a whole year right there, Uh, Galatians, Ephesians. They can be done in 20 minutes. Uh, First and second, Timothy. First and second, Thessalonians. First and second, Peter. Um, Then you get to first John, second John, third John. You know, they're there. You can handle them. Now, the bigger ones, as Dr. Strauss pointed out, you're going to have to break them up into uh, maybe thirds. Book of Romans, book of Hebrews. You're not gonna get them done in 20 minutes a day, but break them into thirds. Oh, it was a wonderful system. And uh, really got me started to really start looking forward to those 20 minutes and learning and doing that month. I wanna encourage you to try that. If, If right now you don't have a Bible study system that's working um, try this, uh, check back in 30 days, and uh, let's see how you do. Or, uh, men of steel, men of sharpening men, maybe the whole group today, or on the first of August, uh, take on the book of James, all of you at the same time, and see what happens in 31 days. That would be very interesting. Now, I want to say another word about another marvelous tool uh, that gets overlooked, but it shouldn't. And that is called Study Bibles. Boy, they are coming out, oh, I mean in record number. And they are, there's some unbelievable ones. Dr. Charles Ryrie, I think, was kind of the first one to really come through with a popular study Bible where verses of the scripture are explained with footnotes. And um, years ago, he did that. However, here of late, Dr. Charles, uh, Dr. Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll, his study Bible is out. And boy, is that good. Jerry Vines, who is at First Baptist Jacksonville for years, he's got a study Bible that's just come out. And it is very, very good, very helpful. And then uh, Dr. Warren Weersby, who was my pastor at Moody Church in Chicago for three years when I was the GM of the Bulls, uh, his study Bible came out a few months ago. And just uh, about uh, six, seven weeks ago, Dr. Weersby passed away, uh, two weeks shy of his 90th birthday. But uh, there are study Bibles, and then there is the Wiersbe study Bible. And uh, Thomas Nelson put it out. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Uh, Dr. Wiersbe was a good friend. Uh, I kind of kept up with him. I spoke a couple of times in Lincoln, Nebraska, where he's been living for many, living for many, many years. And he, uh, we had a nice visit. Uh, he is a bookaholic. He showed me around his library down on the lower floor. He said, my wife has the whole house. I've got the basement. And in the basement was his library. And it was quite awesome. And uh, then he took me upstairs. He said, we're going to go have lunch. He said, if you need a restroom, just go down this hall. And uh, he said, I don't know who was the architect of our house, but he said, down this same hall, there are three bathrooms. Just consecutive, three bathrooms. He said, we call them 1st John, 2nd John, (laughs) and 3rd John. (laughs) And here may be the best news of all, because on November 1st of this year, Dr. Tony Evans has his study Bible coming out. Oh, boy. If you've ever heard Dr. Evans preach, you know that uh, he is in a class by himself and i cannot wait to see what the tony evans study bible is going to look like it's out on november 1 so make note of that all right gang we have come to the point of this session that any husband who has ever tiptoed into the house at 3:30 in the morning knows all about. It is called the question and answer period. (laughs) (laughs) I will take the smokers' questions first. (laughs) in as much as you have less time to live. <laughs> okay, I saw that hand. Yes, who had a hand up? Yes, sir? Uh, you said Stand read, up so we can hear you, bud. You said to read the Bible 20 minutes a day, do you include that in with your one hour a day reading? No, that's, that's beyond. That's yeah. yeah, the Bible, the, the 20 minutes in James has nothing to do with what you're reading. And I, I have discovered this. I uh, really have found that if you get that Bible reading done in the morning, uh, your day is going to be better, and, and uh, it's done. And because so much can happen in the evening, you know, you may, not, you may be tired. Uh, your wife may have stuff for you to do. You may be out late doing something. And now you come home and, oh, i got to read James. Yeah. Uh, just get it done in the morning. If you've got to get up a little bit earlier, do it. And that way, your, your spiritual antenna is up all day. And you feel good about what you've done. You've been in God's word for 20 minutes or so, and that's what it takes. <coughs> in the meantime, Um, subscribe to our daily bread. I think it's important to have a devotional that you work with. And for many, many years, that little booklet (coughs) that has come in the mail (coughs) called our daily bread. And every day, uh, it's good. They never have a bad day. And so just check that out. Uh, Radio Bible class. Puts it out. It's a, it's a must-read. You can read it in about five minutes, and it's, uh, it's good. Yes, sir? Yes, I, I knew you. On your feet. <laughs> boy. I, I knew you had written a lot of books. I didn't know you were over 100. But for somebody that may feel they have a book in them, what's your process to set about writing a book? Uh, if you've got a book in you, there's only one way to deal with it, start writing. And people say, well, how do I do that? And I say, one page at a time, (laughs) one uh, one page a day. At the end of one year, you'll have 365 pages, which is probably too long. (laughs) Uh, If you can't write well, uh, hire a wordsmith, which I do, uh, or a writing partner who can take your material and get it organized and pull it together, Uh, I find that invaluable. If you're a a skilled writer, you don't need that. But uh, start writing, one page a day. Uh, Getting it published is the easy part. Uh, That's not a problem. Uh, But writing it requires discipline, and uh, you've got to have it organized, you've got to know what what it is you're trying to say. You need to have your chapters organized, and then sit down and write one page a day in one year it'll be finished, and then you need an editor to make sure it's you know it's clean and then you come back and see me, and I'll tell you how to get it published. Does everybody have a book in them? Yes. Hmm, well, we may have 150 books re- ready to publish. Um, but that's how you do it, one page at a time. What else do we have? Anything else on your mind? We need to be finished here in about three, three or four minutes and then you're, you're all off to work. Yes, sir? Uh, how about audio books? Oh, good, good. I, I, I don't do them, I, sh- I probably should. My wife does, she's, a- she's traveling a lot. Uh, she drove six and a half hours this week up to the panhandle for a meeting, and uh, she has books on tape with her all the time. Um, don't tell anybody, but they happen to be novels. <laughs> you know, she loves novels, and I, uh, I love history. Um, I love sports history. I love presidential biographies. Uh, so, but I, but we, we leave each other alone. <laughs> you know, I learned that the hard way. Um, I said, Ruth, um, these story books you're reading really are. Uh, that was the end of that discussion. <laughs> uh, yes, sir. Did you do anything to Can't hear you. I need that expanded a little bit. Do I have? Do, do I? Do, you do anything to, like, when you're about to go in to read a book, uh, to kind of get a better comprehension, to drain out the noise, the phone, everything going on around you. Yeah. You know, it- good point. No, I uh, I can't read with noise. I can read with background music, but if there's talking, you know, I, I struggle with that. Uh, I read about six or seven books at the same time. Uh, I've got them there, right there on my. Uh, my little uh, uh, seed area what do you call that little study seed area?: so Anyway, there are about eight of them there. You're lazy boy. Lazy boy, yeah, there are about eight of them. <laughs> and uh, I read uh, from parts of them um, throughout the week. Uh, I don't read one book from start to finish, and then go to the next one. I'm reading six or seven at the same time. My goal is to finish one book a day. I didn't say read it from beginning to end. I want to finish one book a day. And then let me tell you what's going on. I've been doing this. Well, I started collecting books when I was seven. I fell in love with baseball as a little boy living in the Philadelphia area. Love, I mean, to go up and see the A's and the Phillies at Shibe Park. Philadelphia. That was my whole life, and so my family said, "Ah, we found something this kid likes. Let's give him baseball books." So they did, and I saved them, and uh, I've saved every book for the last seventy-two years. Uh, the end result is I've got about thirty thousand books now, and my wife, when we when we downsized three years ago, threatened made it very clear these books are not going to the smaller house and if you can't figure out something to do with them uh, I'm just going to throw them away or something I mean it was scary <laughs> she was not smiling so I quickly tried to find where do I go with these you know I want to have a legacy I want to Pat Williams Leadership Library, and where does all my sports memorabilia stuff go? Long story short, uh, First Baptist Orlando, where we go, uh, is interested in their, it's gonna happen. They've got an enormous amount of space up there, and so we're gonna have uh, the library there. And uh, the architects are looking at it in the design team, and it's getting kind of exciting. Uh, we need, I've got a matching grant. It's going to take about $200,000 to get it done. And, and uh, a, a friend has said, if you can raise 50, he said, I'll match it. And if we can do that, that, it's half done. So I need to raise 50 quick to get this guy to match. He'll match. So if, if any of you uh, uh, just have nothing to do with your money, make sure you see me we hope to have that thing up and running by by Christmas and we're quite excited about it 30,000 and the here's the deal it 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 doesn't slow down because books keep coming out and and books that I like to read and I uh, keep adding it it doesn't it's not going to stop so uh, that's a, a big project that we're in the middle of be a lending library? Well, good question. Uh, the books are still mine and I'm not sure that I trust people to take them out of there. but they do have reading rooms and there's a room they've given me to speak you know to have leadership seminars and we still have to kind of figure all that out. I, I, uh, y- yes, sir. With your uh, love for baseball how do you end up in basketball? Well, my roots <laughs> uh, my roots are in baseball. Uh, I, play, I was a catcher at Wake Forest for four years, and then in June of 1962, I uh, signed a contract uh, in the one club bidding for my services uh, with the Phillies. And they sent me to uh, uh, their farm club in Miami, which was one of their uh, minor league outlets, and there I was, a professional baseball player. Mm. A dream came true. Um, After working out a few days, the manager, uh, Andy Semenick, gave me a uniform. I came down that tunnel, out into the dugout, looking out over the stadium. What a moment. And Andy came over to me and he said, Pat, uh, are you nervous? I said, Skip, not really. He said, well, in professional ball, uh, we wear the uh, underwear under the uniform, he said. (laughs) (laughs) took a little while to get adjusted (laughs) I used to shower before the games it was less crowded then (laughs) anyway that started a a seven year career in baseball I played two years and then spent five years running uh, farm clubs minor league clubs for the Phillies and uh, all of my uh, focus, my direction was in baseball but then One day in July of 1968, out of a clear blue sky, I was running the Phillies Farm Club in Spartanburg, South Carolina. The phone rang, it was Dr. Jack Ramsey, who was then the GM of the 76ers, longtime college coach, who said, uh, I'd like you to come up and run the front office. He said, because I'm going to take over the coaching duties here, I need somebody to run the, the front office. I'd never met him, we didn't know each other. But he offered me the job. I uh, agreed to take it. Left baseball. That was it uh, was 51 years ago. And uh, but I've never lost my love for baseball. On two occasions in the 1990s, we attempted to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. The first effort, <clears throat> and that's where the DeVos family came in, because I went to Grand Rapids and invited them to come down and be the owner of the baseball effort. They agreed to do it, but they sent that team to Miami. And then, uh, five years later, they expanded again, and this time they picked St. Pete. And uh, ooh, we were not happy with that. So here we are, uh, I mean, what, 30 years, 25 years later? And I'm still convinced that uh, Orlando is the spot. And uh, between us girls, uh, that's the uh, the big push in the uh, next piece of my life, uh, to help lead the way to bring Major League Baseball to Orlando. That's my uh, ultimate desire. And uh, a little bit later in August, uh, you'll be hearing about it, reading about it. Uh, Here's how we got the magic 33 years ago. We said to the community, we need $100 deposits on season tickets just to show basketball that something's going on down here. And so after 90 days, we had $100 deposits on 14,000 season tickets. Uh, That's the only reason we stayed in the ballgame. Now, the NBA was just floored by that. They'd never heard of such a thing. And that allowed us to stay in the hunt. And then in April of 87, they took all four of the expansion teams. But uh, Little Orlando back in 86, 87. How many of you were living here then? I mean, you remember, we weren't a whole lot. We uh, had no skyline downtown. The airport, we just hoped people wouldn't fly in here. (laughs) There was no convention center. No universal studios, no uh, animal kingdom, no swan and dolphin. It's now eight o'clock and uh, I'm just getting warmed up, but it's time to go to work. (laughs) I understand that. Any more questions? Yes, sir. What would you say to a guy facing a Mount Rainier? Uh, uh, Facing a Mount Rainier? Start climbing. (laughs) Start climbing and make sure you've got a climbing partner. Uh, when I when I took on that mountain, I wrote a book about called, when I attempted to climb Mount Rainier, I was in the middle of a midlife crisis. And I thought, let's climb a mountain. Well, I knew nothing about mountains. Uh, mount Rainier kicked my tail. I, I lived to write a book about it. But I learned this, you can't climb Mount Rainier without climbing partners. And you can't climb the mountain of life without Partners who are helping you climb. Amen. And uh, th- that's a quick summation. Yes, sir? Yes. Uh, do you, when you read a book, do you highlight the things that really pop up? Well, out? I learned in college, I, I, good question, I, I flunked a course uh, at Wake Forest because I highlighted with a black magic marker. <laughs> <laughs> So I decided uh, maybe I would just underline or mark. So I I, I recommend never read without a pen in your hand. And so if I come across a story or a quote or an anecdote that looks uh, good or I could use, I I bracket it, fold the page down, uh, then Xerox it all at the end of the book. I've got a lady that types for me. And I take all that those material things that I've read, <coughs> and I, uh, I get them typed on three by five cards. Keep them filed by topic, so when it's time to write a book on a certain subject, I've already done the research over a forty-five year period. So uh, I recommend read with a pen in your hand or a yellow highlighter. Stay away from the black highlighters. <laughs> okay, guys. Yes one more. can you give a baseball player and a basketball player that had an impact on your life? baseball player or a basketball player that had an impact on my life. The baseball player would be Bobby Richardson. Bobby Richardson was the longtime second baseman for the Yankees during the Mickey Mantle Roger Maris era, and Bobby, uh, who's still living in Sumter, South Carolina, uh, was uh, a bold witness, long before we had baseball chapel or you know the prevalence of sports ministries, but there was Bobby you know just unashamed of his faith, uh, sharing it in a beautiful, beautiful, winsome way, and uh, to this day, Bobby had a deep impact on my life. We named our second son, Bobby Williams, after Bobby Richardson. <clears throat> The basketball player probably uh, who's had the biggest impact on me was another Bobby. His name was Bobby Jones. And in 1977 uh, in Philly, we traded for him, came over from Denver. And the first time I ever met him, he said, I want to start a chapel service with our team. Uh, Will you help me? And so we had the first. NBA chapel service in uh, the spring of 1978 on a Sunday. Uh, Bobby uh, orchestrated it, and to this day, Bobby's just been voted into the Hall of Fame uh, this September. He asked me to write uh, the essay that goes into the Hall of Fame program, which was an honor to do. And there's another guy who has lived out his faith in the public arena and has never backed off, uh, never uh, shied. I've got a tremendous amount of respect for him and his wife, Tess. So Bobby, Bobby Richards and Bobby Jones, I would could steer any young person uh, to both of them if they want to learn how to be a Christian athlete. I think, guys, I'm gonna meet you at the book table. Um, it, 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 we're gonna get you started. and. Uh, Thanks so much. I'm I'm so pleased.